0: glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. We are in a series. It's called Upside Down. We're finishing it up today. And uh, we've been talking about the fact that Jesus came into this world 2,000 years ago, which is what we're going to celebrate a lot next week, and uh, turned the whole world upside down. And he wants to do that in our lives as well. We talked about how he turns our identity upside down, turns upside down what we think, what we do, and then today I'm going to talk about turning around what we see. What we see with our eyes not with our physical eyes, but with our spiritual eyes. And uh, my text verse today is out of Ephesians 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we do, just for the initial reading of the Word of God, just in honor of His Word. Ephesians 1, verses 18 and the first part of verse 19, it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know two things He wants us to know, the hope to which He has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and secondly, his incomparable great power for us who believe. Do you want God to open the eyes of your heart today? To see him more clearly? You know, I'm not accusing us of having our eyes closed. I think in a, in a large degree, most of us have our eyes open to some degree, but we can always open them wider. Some of us are squinting a little spiritually. Some of us uh, just need our eyes to be opened wide. We all need our eyes to be opened wider. Some of us, though, are tightly clenching our eyes closed. And I'm praying today that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. The, uh, the title of my message today is uh, Eyes Wide Open. And I don't know about you, but I want my eyes to be wide open for him, spiritually speaking. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, you are good. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our lives. I thank you for everyone that came in here today, everyone that's watching online today, and everyone that's gonna be watching in the future for taking the time out of their life to come and hear your word. And Lord, we believe that it is your word that transforms us. It's your word that teaches us how to live for you and gives us the truth that sets us free. We pray you bless this time. Let our hearts be good soil. Let your word produce fruit in our lives. And church, I I ask you to repeat this prayer after me today. Lord, open the eyes of my heart to see your hope and your power in my life. Amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. You prayed it. Now do you believe God to do it? Amen. I'm sure you've, uh, you've all heard the phrase, seeing is believing. And most of us uh, want that. We like to believe what we can see. And uh, it's a very common thing in our society and in life. And uh, a lot of what we think in life is based on what we've seen. But not everything that we believe is because of what we've seen. Some of it is assumption. Sometimes we just assume things without having seen. Sometimes that can get us in trouble. Uh, and sometimes just our wiring, kind of how we're wired, makes us believe certain things over other things. Have you ever noticed how two people can see the exact same thing but have two completely different experiences with what they saw? It reminds me of uh, back in the mid 90s, I was able to go on a missions trip to Russia. And we were there for two months, or just under two months. And uh, we were living, we were staying in this fairly small town in russia we were just we were going into the schools and teaching jesus and uh, we were just they let us come in and just share the gospel with all these kids we did it for two months it was a wonderful time but on our way there we stopped in moscow just for a little bit of sightseeing and touristy stuff and our host was able to get us tickets to get inside the kremlin to watch the russian ballet and i didn't know much about ballet at that time but from all in from all uh, accounts it's one of the most famous ballet groups in all the world so this was an incredible privilege to go in and see this. And uh, we were so excited to go inside the Kremlin. You know, if you've, if you've seen it on TV or been there, you know, there's a lot of historic buildings there, just a really wonderful place to see. And then going into this beautiful theater, you know, where there, the ballet was going to happen, and the theater was just incredibly beautiful. It was just this, this really awe-inspiring thing. And, uh, and then the ballet starts, you know, and it was really cool. And at about the 10 to 12-minute mark, I was dead asleep. I mean snoring asleep probably and I woke up at the end Um, It was the most boring thing I'd ever seen in my life And uh, if if you're into ballet, please forgive me for saying that because I do appreciate it now But I was a 20 year old young man (laughs) And that was not my cup of tea And uh, so I did not enjoy it even though the experience was kind of cool But as we're leaving, you know, I'm still yawning and waking up And some of the girls on our team were just they were crying because it was just this most moving thing They'd ever seen this beautiful thing and I'm thinking huh we saw the same thing but we had two very very different experiences and that's very common in life to have that based on what we how we're wired based on our assumptions based on what we prefer you know Uh, I think about too when if joy and I get the chance to sit at home and relax for a little bit on the couch and watch tv you know if if I'm going to watch tv now it's it's pretty much always just crime documentaries I just love that kind of stuff seeing the the, how, how crimes are solved and things like that and so you know I can really get into that and geek out on it and so, if we're sitting there watching that and I'm really into it and I'm, you know, my mouth's hanging open and, and I'm thinking it's the greatest thing ever, and I look over at Joy and she's basically reading the label off one of the couch cushions. And she'd rather be anywhere but right there, you know. In fact, we've been married long enough now, she usually doesn't stay there. She usually goes and does something else. But, you know, two, two, thi- two people seeing the exact same thing, two very different experiences. And, you know, it's like that in nature, too. You know, there's, there's different experiences based on the same event, the same sun. That will melt ice cream hardens clay Right so it's not just with us as people it's it's all over the world We see that you can have the same you can see the same thing but have two very very different experiences and in faith It's the complete opposite of Seeing is believing in faith. We believe Or we yeah, we believe we see what we believe I almost said it backwards We see what we believe. We have to believe before we can see the things in the faith As opposed to the other way around in fact You could say you can't see the great attributes of god Unless you believe in him and his attributes. You're not going to see god's faithfulness in your life until you believe he's faithful You're not going to see his provision in your life until you believe that he's your provider It's the only way to see it. You have to believe it to see it I'll give you a scenario you take two different people two people one's a one's a follower of Jesus one is not and they both Have a job and they both uh, have a a, an experience where their car breaks down And they both need some extra money to get their car fixed because they need their car to get to work But they don't have the extra money the believer is praying and asking God to help him The other guy is just hoping for a miracle or hoping for something both of them get a check in the mail from their bosses because They the company they work for had a really good quarter better than they thought and they were giving a little extra to their good employees So they both got a check in the mail that provided for them to be able to fix their car to continue working their job The guy that is not a follower of jesus is saying Is patting himself on the back for being a good employee and doing what he needed to do to get his needs met The follower of jesus is praising god for his faithfulness He's praising god for giving him this provision because he knows god is his provider the same exact scenario happened in fact, the, the, for the person that's not the follower of Jesus would look at that other person and say, you're crazy. It wasn't God that did that. That was given to you because you're, you worked hard in your company. It's very practical, very sensical to say that. But a follower of Jesus believes who God is, and so when that provision comes, he believes it's from God. Because we as followers of Jesus know that all of our provision comes from God, that every good thing that comes into our life is from God. But you have to believe it before you can actually see it in your life there's an example out of the word of god out of numbers 13 where most of you know this situation this story where they're the the children of israel have been delivered from egypt but they're in the wilderness they're not in the promised land yet they had been they're hard hearted and stiff-necked and so god was not putting them in the promised land until that whole generation was gone but they were they were getting closer to the promised land and moses actually sends 12 spies in to the promised land to spy it out just so they can get an idea of what it looks like and what it's going to be like when they get there and God had promised that he's going to deliver that land to them. It's going to be theirs. Been, he's been promising them for years. So 12 people go in and look at it. 12 people come out. And you guys, many of you know the story. Ten of these spies were freaking out. They're saying, oh, my goodness. We look like grasshoppers to these guys. They're giants. There's, we'll never do this. We'll never take this land. We don't even have a chance. And Joshua and Caleb are saying, we can do it. We can do it. We can absolutely do this. God will deliver this land into our hands. Twelve people saw the exact same thing, but had different experiences. Ten had an experience because they were looking with their eyes. Two had a different experience because they were looking with their faith. They were looking with what they believed. They believed that God was going to provide that for them, even though they looked like insurmountable circumstances. But they all saw the same grapes. They all saw the same land. They all saw the same people, but had two very, very different experiences Which tells us that faith or unbelief does not come from our circumstances or our surrounding, but it comes from our heart. That's something we need to be thinking about, and that's something that it's important that we understand where our faith is coming from. It has nothing to do with your circumstances, or at least it shouldn't. It comes from your heart. It comes from believing, choosing to believe who God says He is. And then in that, our faith grows and, and, and abounds because then the things, we, the things that happen, we see those as things to grow our faith, not as things that are just practically rationed away, or rationally uh, explained away in our life. So today is Palm Sunday, as Jessica said. And this is celebrated because this was the day that Jesus made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. All four Gospels give an account of this. Jesus coming in to Jerusalem to take his rightful place not as king but as a savior to go onto the cross to do what he had came come to this earth to do which was to die for the sins of the world and up until this time jesus had not gone into jerusalem during his earthly ministry this was the first time he went in he was going into a hostile environment and he knew it but this was a beautiful scene of the triumphal entry because everybody was excited to see him for different reasons well most people were excited to see him They're waving palm branches, you know, that's why it's called Palm Sunday. They're waving palm branches They're throwing down cloaks on the road so he can walk on it And He's riding this donkey into the into the city and it's it's a beautiful beautiful scene that we see here of this triumphal entry and today is actually Palm Sunday is the beginning of what many people call holy week or a lot of people call it Passion week because this is the the first day of him coming into Jerusalem and by the end of the week He's on the cross And three days later, he's actually risen from the dead for the sins of the world, right? So they call it Passion Week because this was the passion of the Christ, was to come into the city and do what he had been brought here to do. You know, passion is just really what you're willing to suffer for. That's what it means. It's just what you're willing to suffer for. It's just what what matters to you and what you're willing to suffer for. You know, if you're passionate about being healthy, you're willing to suffer by not eating fried chicken and sugar all the time, right? and exercising in the morning. You're, you're willing to sacrifice sleep sometimes to get up and exercise because you're passionate about being healthy and taking care of your body. If you're passionate about your family, you, know, you'll, you have to sacrifice other things if you're passionate about something. If you're passionate about your family, you're sacrificing playing golf all the time or going off with your friends all the time or doing a lot of other things because you're passionate about being with them. So other things have to suffer because of your passion. And Jesus did what he did because he was passionate about you and me In fact in Hebrews chapter 12 it says For the joy that was set before him He endured the cross Scorning its shame Beautiful verse For the joy that was set before him You know you and I were the joy that was set before him We were the ones that were on his mind We're the reason he did what he did And I love what it says there that he, It says he endured the cross So this notion that Jesus didn't have to go through any pain Because he was God and somehow it didn't hurt him you know, he just did it because it, was, it had to be a spectacle that they had to see is not true He endured the cross He had to go through the pain of the cross You don't have to endure something that's really fun and easy, right? I've never had to endure a really good night's sleep <laughs> That just happens, right? We endure the things that are challenges and are difficult in our life So Jesus endured the cross for us because we were the joy that was sent set before him So when Jesus rode into jerusalem there was a lot of passion and i want to look at what he what he saw and what we see from this story of the triumphal entry it seems appropriate to talk about that today cuz this is the day we celebrate it but it also fits into our series because i want to talk about how he's, he can turn upside down the what we think we see and what how we see okay there's there's different aspects of what we're seeing here and so this story of the triumphal entry starts where jesus is actually headed towards jerusalem with his disciples and they're close to this village and jesus stops and he tells two of his disciples he says hey i want you to go into this village there's gonna be a donkey there it's gonna be tied up it's never been ridden you just walk up to it i want you to untie this donkey and i want you to bring it to me and he said if anybody says anything to you when you do this you just say simply the lord needs it (laughs) how would you like to be those two disciples and get tasked with that you know god forbid the owner of it was probably seven foot tall and some huge dude and they're just supposed to say the lord needs it he's just gonna say oh okay so these guys do. They go into this, this little village. They walk up, and it's just like Jesus said. There's a colt there that's never been ridden, tied up. And the guys just walk up, and they start untying it. And sure enough, here come the owners. And they said, uh, what you doing? And they said, <laughs> they did exactly what Jesus said. They said, the Lord needs it. I, I, I just envision, I don't know, i got a weird sense of humor. I just envision these guys, like, just all doing the shoulder shrug, like, the Lord needs it. And then the owner, and then even a bigger shoulder shrug when the owners go, oh, okay, you can have it. And they took it and they let him have it and they brought it to Jesus. Incredible! It's really a remarkable story if you think about it. The the faith it took just for those guys to go in there and take. How would you like it today? You know, if, if the Lord says, yeah hey, I want you to go to Walmart parking lot. There's going to be a Corvette in there with the keys in it. Just need you to get in, start it up. If the owner comes, just say, hey, it's okay. The Lord needs it. You know? <laughs> sure, take it. Take it here. I'm give you my phone, too, and my banking account numbers, you know, whatever. Uh, but you see these guys doing this and having this, this act of faith. Well, I'm going to pick up the story here in Luke 19, starting in verse 35. It says, They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices, for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So this is a beautiful scene. And what you see in this scene is three different groups of people. There's three spheres here, three circles. That you see in this scene you have um three very different perspectives of people in this group based on their relationship with jesus okay and i want to look at those three circles today to kind of explain what we're talking about when it comes to how you see jesus in your relationship with him so you got an outer circle you got a middle circle and you got an inner circle okay now let me be very very clear I'm not saying God classifies us in different circles, okay? That's not what he does. This is very, very much just an illustration to give you a visual and to give us some understanding and also to just even look at our own heart. You know, our text verse, our prayer today is that God would enlighten the eyes of our heart. he opened open the eyes. So this is just a visual for us, okay? God does not categorize us and put us in little clubs and and, uh, make us feel bad if we're in one and not the other, okay? So I want to be very clear of that. But these are circles of sight, so the question today is how do you see jesus? What is your relationship with jesus? And the first one is that outer circle In The outer circle people in the outer circle see what they want to see You see what you want to see this is represented here by the pharisees The pharisees did not want to see jesus as the savior because he didn't look like they thought the messiah was going to look So they saw what they wanted to see. They they didn't like it. When the people started worshiping Jesus, they said, hey, you need to rebuke those guys. They're not supposed to worship you. They saw exactly what they wanted to see. And these people that are in this outer circle are far from God. The Pharisees thought they were godly, very close to God, but they weren't. They were very far from God because God was right there in front of them, and they didn't see it. So the people in the outer circle are far from God. They're watching from a distance. They haven't seen him for who he is. The eyes of their heart have not been enlightened to who God really is. And I want to ask you today, would you say that you are in this group, in this circle? Or do you feel like you are far from God? I want to say today, if you do, I got great news, because I am really, really glad you're here. In fact, I pray more for you than probably anybody else in this church. I pray that God would bring you to this place. And I don't believe you're here by coincidence or by accident. In fact, the mission of this church is to reach people far from God and to lead people to their next step in a God-first life. So you're the first part of the mission of this church. We want to reach people that are far from God because the only reason we're far from God, it has nothing to do with God himself. He never pushes us away. He is always drawing us to him. The Holy Spirit is drawing us to him. So if we're far from God, there's only one person we can point to as the fault, and that's this person. But we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay far from God, but this and, I, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute But being far from God is is not knowing him for who he is or thinking that he is something that he isn't In fact, there is a uh, there's a spirit in this world that would want to blind us from even seeing God for who he really is The apostle paul talks about it in second corinthians 4 he says the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god so there's a spirit that is trying to keep us to keep the eyes of our heart from being enlightened being open to what is the truth of the gospel and this is not necessarily people that hate god the people that do hate god are definitely in the outer circle but not everybody in the outer circle hates god they just love themselves more usually just really want their way. They want what they want at all times. And uh, 2 Timothy, Paul talks about how we were supposed to, how, how we, uh, just giving us some understanding of people that actually think that they're close to God but really aren't. And, and this would go like in the Pharisee column, but in 2 Timothy 3, verses 4 to 5, it, Paul talks about treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. He's being very clear here that the, the people that, that just want their own pleasures, want to live for themselves, they have a form of godliness. They can kind of put on a show and kind of make it look like they know God, but they really don't. And he's not telling the church to have nothing to do with them. He's saying don't have anything to do. Don't be in, don't be in close relationship with them in such a way where you're hitching your wagon to them because they are deceived. The outer circle is basically that. It is about Deception. The people in the outer circle have been deceived because they have not understood the truth of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens is, for those that are in the outer circle that think they know God, what they've actually done is just created their own version of Jesus. We've created our own version. And I think all of us are guilty of this at times. Okay, So we're not looking sanctimoniously at each other saying, yeah, that's you. When we've all been there, if you're not there now where we've, we've made Jesus into something that we want him to be, that he's just this, he's this God that says, you know what, you, it's fine. You can live your life for yourself. You can live to please your own ne- your, yourself and meet your own needs and, and do your thing, and it's fine. Keep, you know If it feels good, just, just do it. In the end, it's all going to work out somehow for you. That's the Jesus that a lot of people serve. It's not about living a life of holiness. It's about getting to live a life of doing whatever you want and just trusting that, well, in the end of the, at the end, God's just going to figure it out. You know, he's going to get us all into heaven eventually anyway And we're really deceiving ourselves. It is it is all a bunch of deception in our life In fact, the apostle john tells us very clearly in first john 3 What that looks like In verse 6, he says no one who lives in him keeps on sinning And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him So he's saying if we are living if, if that's our jesus that we're living for we've never actually seen him The eyes of our heart have not been enlightened. They have not been opened to the truth of who he is. Because you can't do it. You can't keep on sinning and just assuming that everything's going to be okay. Because if you see him, Jesus is always drawing us. He's always pulling us to greater places. He's always drawing us to live lives of holiness, to live like him. And he gives us his spirit to do it. To empower us to live for him in our lives. But religious people are also in this circle. This is who the Pharisees were. They, they were religious and they didn't like Jesus because he didn't look like them or act like them. In fact, they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah at all. They saw him as a pot stirrer. They saw him as an agitator. They saw him as someone that was going to be trouble. In fact, that's why they said to him, Gee, hey, you need to rebuke your disciples because they're a problem, right? They did not like what he was doing. And Jesus even talks about them in Matthew 11 because we know that, those, that the Pharisees were far from God. We see it because they were actually the ones that encouraged the crucifixion of Jesus, too. But in Matthew 11, verse 25, Jesus says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. That's, why, that's how Jesus wants us to come to him. And the Pharisees were the most learned people of their time. They knew the law. They had, they had large portions of the Torah memorized, very smart, had a lot of head knowledge, but no heart knowledge of who God was. They did not have hearts after God in their life. And religious people did not like Jesus. But it's interesting because sinners did. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus because he did. He always pulled them up. He always pulled them up. And I would even t- say for us today that that's a litmus for us today. Like do the really religious people that don't, you know really don't have a relationship with Jesus, but they're really religious, do they like you and sinners don't like you? Because that's exactly how the Pharisees were. And we don't want to be that in our life, right? We want to be people that sinners would be drawn to as well because we will lift them up. We will show them the love of the Father. That we would live lives of love in such a way that that even people that are far from God would be drawn to us so that we can elevate them for the glory of God. Jesus changed the lives of those who had a heart after him. He changed their lives and that's why they were drawn to him and it's the prerequisite for us to be To get out of that outer circle and to get inside is just to have a heart after him And you know, I can tell you from 30 years of living for jesus. I never ever get tired of the idea that jesus changes lives I never get tired of it Because that's what he does If he doesn't then this is just all a ritual we're doing we are, we are evidence that he changes lives. And he continues to change lives. He continues to change my life. I love him with all my heart. And he's brought me so far. But I still see things in my life where I still need him to change this and this and this. And he does. He's taken us on a journey and on a process. And he continues to change lives even after all of these years. And I will say one of the biggest things that keeps us in that outer circle, keeps us from getting out of it, is, is the unwillingness to abandon, abandon the things that matter to us in our life. You know, too often times we are more concerned about success and pleasures and security to really, really give our lives to Jesus. And I can tell you today that that will keep you in that outside circle. And I would even say today, if you're here today and you say, well, I am a Christian, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. If, if success and pleasure and securities If those are your top priorities in your life, you have to ask yourself today, have I seen him? Have I really seen him if those things matter to me more than my relationship with him? And we could all say the right things, but you know in your heart if your relationship with him is your number one priority. Because if you are passionate about him, you will let other things suffer to advance that relationship with him. Because that's what passion is. What matters in life is what you're passionate about, and it is evident by how you make other things suffer To make sure that that is advanced in your life Whatever it is And so if those other things are a top priority in our life We have to ask ourselves Have I seen him? Have I really seen him for who he is? Or do I see him like the Pharisees saw him? Or do I see him like somebody else sees him As maybe somebody that can just help me In some certain areas But not necessarily worthy of surrendering my whole life And giving my whole life to him We have to ask ourselves Have I seen him? Now I want to move on to the middle circle Okay Okay the middle circle is where the people in the middle circle see what most see. The outer circle is you see what you want to see. The middle circle is we see what most people see. This is the majority. This was the crowd when Jesus came into Jerusalem, singing and praising God and being excited. They saw what most people saw in that, in that scenario. And, and really, this is most of the church today. Most of the church today we would classify being in that middle circle. Because the middle circle is people that have an appreciation for Jesus and maybe even have a relationship with Jesus, but it's probably very, very shallow. And a shallow relationship with Jesus is a dangerous place to be because a shallow relationship with Jesus is when we're only in it for what we can get out of it. You know, we're, we're with him as long as things are going our way. But when our relationship with Jesus, if, if, the tough get, if the going gets tough, these people get going, and I mean away. They're getting away from Jesus. Because it's all about what he can do for me. These are the, this is where you get angry when something doesn't go your way after you prayed about it because you think God should have done something for you. This, this is about having a, you're, you're in a shallow place in your relationship with Jesus. And again, I'm not standing up here being sanctimonious. We've all been there. We all struggle with it. It's just important that we don't stay there. Because that defines the depth of your relationship with him. So we don't get angry when things don't go our way. We don't, we don't shake our fist at God when we lose a loved one or something else that's valuable in our life we don't we don't get angry with him and say why did you do this i've been serving you because that tells us that we're actually shallow we don't really have an understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with him because nobody ever said this christian life was easy well nobody that's going to preach the truth of god's word would ever say that this christian life is easy because it's not easy and it's not even meant to be that way this was the crowd in this scenario they were the ones Yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Glory to God. And less than a week later, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Because that's what the crowd was doing. Because their, their relationship with Jesus was just this surfacey thing like, you know what, These, the crowd probably thought, a lot of them thought that he was coming into the city to be their king. Because there was reference in the, from the prophet Zechariah that the Messiah was going to be their king. But they misinterpreted, misunderstood, misunderstood what that meant. It didn't mean that he was going to come in and, and lead a revolt against Rome so Israel could be a country again. He wasn't coming to be a physical king. He was coming to be a spiritual king. But many of them didn't understand that. So they thought he was coming in to be their king. And that's why they're, some of them are rejoicing, saying, yes, finally, we're going to get out from underneath the thumb of the Romans. Well, then when he's arrested and taken and they realize it didn't work out the way they thought, they're like, well, I guess crucify him then. I mean, I could see the scenario. Guys coming into the crowd and, that were there when he came into the city too and hearing them yell crucify him. And he's talking to one of the other guys and saying, wait a minute. That guy looks a lot like the Jesus guy that we were cheering for a few days ago. And they're saying, yeah, they, it is, but it didn't work out. Now the Pharisees, they're telling us we need to yell crucify him. So whatever. Okay, whatever. Crucify him. There wasn't a, not, didn't even necessarily have to be a lot of passion in it. They were just going with the crowd, because that's what this middle circle will do. They're going to be swayed by public opinion, because they're going to be fickle. Because there's no depth of relationship with Jesus. This is not a circle that we would want to stay in, church. If we're in this circle, we want to we want to work hard in our relationship with Him so that we get out of that inner circle and get to the inner, or get out of that middle circle and get to the inner circle, because being swayed by public opinion is an epidemic across the church, right? It didn't start with 2020, 2021. In fact, if I take you back to that Numbers 13, that, where the spies went out, okay? And 10 of them come back, and they're saying, oh, no, no, oh, no, no, this ain't happening. And they stirred up a large portion of the rest of the Hebrew community there, so much so, they were freaking out And and Joshua and Caleb stood in front of them and said, listen guys, no, no, remember the promises of God, we can do this. And they were threatening to stone Joshua and Caleb for not agreeing with the crowd. That's where the crowd was going in this scenario. In fact, the, the incredible, it's so difficult to even understand this, but they literally were talking about raising up, getting another leader. Kicking Moses out, getting another leader that will take them back to Egypt. That's what they wanted to do. And God was so angry, God wanted to judge them and wipe them out. If it wasn't for Moses getting on his face praying for him, he was going to wipe them all out. They literally were willing to go back into their bondage and slavery because part of the crowd convinced them that they couldn't do what God said they were going to do. That is the definition of being in that shallow middle circle. And let me tell you, church, we can look at these... These hebrews and say my goodness. I mean, why would you ever want to go back into slavery? I mean they were this wasn't like some ho-hum slavery This was oppression Huge oppression and yet we can make get we can judge them and think how bad they are but How often in our life do we do the same thing? Where we will say okay, god I trust you and and we we can say we can even thank god because we can say man you know, I used to be like I was really fixated on on just making money. Like that's all that mattered to me. I just wanted to make money and put a bunch of money away and have as much money as I could possibly get. And God's really set me free from that and helped me to to, that that wouldn't be something that controls me anymore. And then times get tough and it gets difficult. And rather than stand on God's faithfulness and trust him, the temptation is to go back into this slavery. To go back into the bondage that God delivered you from. And the, the crazy thing is, when you're over here on this side and you're looking back at it and you know you were miserable there. I know I was miserable. I was making a lot of money, but I was miserable. I was working 80 hours a week. My, my kids hated me. I didn't even know my kids. My wife hated me. All these things were terrible, and I finally gave that up, and I'm living for Jesus. Now things are getting tough, and I don't have the money that I really want to have, and it's not working out the way I hoped, and so I'm going to go back into my slavery, my bondage, instead of standing on the faithfulness of God. That is the definition of a shallow faith that we see all the time. All the time It's so important that we do not allow Public opinion to sway us or or to be swayed so easily In our faith based on our circumstances So I was saying earlier our faith is not about our circumstances. It's about what's in our heart And frankly if we go back into bondage if we go back into that place of oppression That it shows us that our heart never really was for jesus Because if your heart's really for jesus, you'll look at that and say that's disgusting. Why would I ever go back there? I don't want to go back there if you've seen him, why would you want to go back where before it was him? It doesn't make any sense, right? But we do it all the time in life. We just, in this, in this middle circle sometimes, we can just want to blend in. I think that's a, it's a good way of putting it, that we would just blend in, not cause a splash. You know, if you're in this middle area here, you're, you know, you're one way around your Christian friends and you're another way around your non-Christian friends, you just don't want to cause a ruckus. You just want to blend in. And that's no way for us as followers of Jesus to live. Because, you know, it's, if we're not focused, if we're not intentional about our relationship with Jesus, you know what happens is we start to drift. We start to drift. In fact, the writer of Hebrews warns us about drifting. In Hebrews 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Take painstaking effort so that you are not swayed by public opinion. Because if we we don't, we will drift. And I can tell you, no one has ever in the history of the world drifted into that inner circle with Jesus. Drifting doesn't get you where you want to go. We have to be intentional about where where we want to be we have to guard it closely because i can promise you today that there are forces trying to sway you and trying to cause you to drift to to make you think that your faith might be you might have too much emphasis on your faith you know your faith is just something you just kind of keep in your back pocket it's not something you actually live by every minute of every day that's what that's what these forces in this world the the enemy of your soul our society it's never going to be the majority is always going to be fickle and always going to want to sway us and we do all find ourselves in this crowd sometimes in our life. And it's not, it's not to judge us, but we cannot stay there. Because God has a purpose for your life, church. He has a purpose for your life, and I can promise you, it is not in, a, in the shallows. It is not in the shallows with him. It is to be in that intimate, deep relationship with him. That is where your purpose for your life is found. And not only that, the kingdom of God is never advanced by the church blending in. It'll never be advanced by us just blending in. I'm not saying we have to be obnoxious and loud, but we're not called to blend in and just be part of the crowd, hear what the crowd's doing, and then kind of go with them. We are called, we are called to stand out and make a difference so that the kingdom of God would come on this earth through each and every one of us. All right, and then let me give you the last one the inner circle. The inner circle, you see what few see. So you go from seeing what you want to see to seeing what most people see, and the inner circle is you see what few see. This is represented here by the disciples. They saw Jesus for who he really is. And if we're in that inner circle, we are seeing him for who he really is. We are surrendering our life to him because of who he is. We are worshiping him for who he is. Not for our own agenda, not because of what we can get out of it, We're serving him because of who he is. And the disciples saw this. You know the disciples saw this because those two guys would not have gone and just taken some colt just because some good person told them, hey, I need you to go get this colt. And if they say, what are you doing? You say, the Lord needs it. They saw him in a way that others didn't see him. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us too, that we would see him in that same way. This is the minority group. This will always be it's it's significant that the circle is the smallest of these circles because it's the smallest group The majority is never going to be the group that is passionate about jesus Okay This is truth guys We like to think I like to think we all want to go there that man God just bring a revival and just flood the earth sweep over the whole world and Just get everybody saved or at least you know almost everybody just the real hard-hearted people won't get saved The bible does never tells us that that's going to happen in fact It's it's there's multiple places where you see in the word of God that that's not the truth that that's not going to happen In fact, the very words of jesus in matthew 7 look what he says matthew 7 13 Enter through the narrow gate For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it Now He's not saying here that I only want a few people. He's telling us that the heart of man is not always going to turn to God. And so if God has put it on your heart, if the eyes of your heart have been opened to see him for who he is, then that is all the more important that we understand and realize that it is imperative upon us to go after him and to stay in that relationship with him because you're in the minority, which tells me that the majority is always going to be pulling us away from that. The majority is not okay with you being in that that place. There's always going to be pull to get us out of that inner circle. But that's why we have to guard it all the more closely in our life. If you're in this circle, you're not concerned about status. You're not concerned about popularity. You're not concerned about success. Those things don't matter in life. Success is defined completely differently when we are in an intimate relationship with Jesus, when we see him for who he really is. Success looks completely different than it does B.C. in our life. In fact, I would say that status is an epidemic in our society today, even among many in the church. We're so worried about our social status. It's why we blend in. It's why we don't want to make a big deal because we don't want to lose our social status. Whether it's social media, whether it's at your job and your life, we just were so concerned about our status now. And now it's even gone up another notch because now there's this thing called cancel culture that's sweeping across the globe that is straight out of the pit of hell. No question about it. Where you get canceled for doing anything They could dig up something from 20 years ago And you can get canceled for it And be shunned and completely cut out of society It's absolutely absurd and ridiculous I I don't know about you guys But I am so thankful that we don't serve a God That believes in that Because if we did, we'd all be canceled Every single one of us There has not been a human born on this earth Other than Jesus himself That does not deserve to be canceled But Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what I do In fact, jesus says i'm the exact opposite of that. I'm going to cancel your sins I'm going to cancel everything that comes against you and i'm going to give you life and give you more abundantly That's who he is. But if we're not careful in the church, we can still worry about that status Like I get I can worry about the status and that's going to keep you out of that inner circle because i'm telling you You cannot worry about your status or your success or or your popularity and be close to jesus Because eventually something's going to come apart you can you can have a bit of a, a facade there for a while, but eventually it's going to come apart in your life Cannot be worried about our platform because when you get into that intimate place with jesus you realize your life's not about you I mean i've said this before but Every sunday I come in here In the early in the morning and the first thing I do is I go in my office and I just start praying and I, just, I pray a couple of the same things every sunday Apart from the other things I pray but I always pray jesus today is not about me It is not about me today is about you It's about you and you only I am so thankful that I didn't become a pastor in my 20s because in my 20s My prayer would have been god make me say all the right words I pray that you'd help me to just be perfect up there and be an eloquent speaker and everybody would just fall in love with me Because it would have been about me But it took him a while to work on me. That's why I didn't get to pastor until I was in my 40s (laughs) But i'm so thankful he did because i'm to the point now where I don't I, I don't want anything even to be about me I don't care. I, I don't I don't need the platform. I don't need adoration. I'm here to serve Jesus I get the joy of sharing the word of God with you guys. That's a beautiful thing. But Once it leaves my mouth and goes across stage here. It's on you And so if you don't receive it, it's not my fault. If you do receive it, it's not my credit It's because of the holy spirit working in us And we can't be worried about our status We can't be worried about ourselves and be in this inner circle with jesus if we want to see him for re- who he really is our status becomes irrelevant in our life. And we know that the disciples saw that too. Society saw a good man in Jesus. They saw a, a teacher, maybe even a, a prophet, but he's so much more than that. But very few people saw it. But the disciples did. And if you see him for that, you see things that no one else sees. Do you ever find yourself seeing things about Jesus that even other Christians sometimes don't see? That are just not at that level of depth of relationship. Where you, where you see things about God that, that other people just cannot see because of where you've gone in your relationship with him. You know, if you see him for who he is, you don't see a good man riding a donkey. You see the Messiah. And when something bad happens in life and something doesn't go your way, you don't get angry at God. You don't see him letting you down or failing you. You see his faithfulness in the midst of it. And when, when something like a pandemic hits hits this country, hits this world, and has affected your life negatively, you don't get mad at God because of COVID. You actually see His faithfulness in the midst of COVID. You see Him in everything. That's where I want to be in my life, where I see Him in every aspect of my life. And I, it's so beautiful when we get there. I, I feel like I see Him more and more every day. I see Him more every day. I, I've said this before too, but even at, at night when I go to bed, I always just thank Jesus. I'm like, thank you for a warm bed. Or in the summer, thank you for a cool bed. <laughs> I'm just always thanking him because he is in everything. When we see him for who he really is, we see that when, when you do get a check in the mail that's from your from your employer, you know it's still from Jesus. And when you get COVID nineteen and it takes you two weeks to recover, you still know Jesus helped you get better. You see him in everything. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants each and every one of us to experience in our life. So does this mean you never have doubt? Because I think that's the the first question that comes to my mind when I think about seeing him and everything and just loving him and being intimate, being in that inner circle. Like, man, does that mean we can't doubt? I want to set you guys free today because there's not a human being that's ever loved Jesus in this world that hasn't struggled with doubt. We're all going to have those moments of doubt. John the Baptist baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove, heard a voice in heaven, say this is my son who i'm well pleased and later still doubted so when 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 we ask ourselves for instance this week i had a conversation with a couple people and the question came up do you ever wonder if you're right this whole thing of faith do you ever wonder if you're right and you know what i i readily admit yes i ask god not all the time but i ask him sometimes when you have those moments i say god man i really hope this is right I think it's so important that we ask ourselves that sometimes Because you know what that does for me at least What it does for me is it causes me that that train of thought I go in when I get there Is that I go from there asking god am I right? Is this right? Do we have this faith thing figured out is your is the bible true? You know what goes, my very next train is or the track that I go down Is start to think about god's faithfulness I start to think about the ways god has been faithful in my life in ways that I can't explain in words and the times that I've felt his presence so strong, the times that I've been weeping before him because I've known that he intervened in a situation or that he was there for me in ways I can't explain and can't keep that feeling all the time, even though you want to. You know, you've probably been there too. You had those moments where you just felt him. You just knew he was right there. And you're just like, God, I don't want to ever leave this place. I don't want to ever leave this place. Just stay here. Can we just stay here forever? And God says, no, you got to get up. You got to go be my disciple. And so you don't get to stay in that place. And so it's so important that we think back to those times. Because it's not always like that, but to think about his faithfulness, because that's what stirs us. We're, if I ask somebody, "Have you ever doubted?" and they say, "No," I, my first thing: "Well, then I, I don't. I think you don't have a lot of self-awareness." Then, because there's not a human. I mean, Peter himself was one of the greatest disciples, one of the greatest apostles of the church. Multiple times we see in the Word of God where he doubted, where he had struggled, where he walked on water. He's literally walking on water to Jesus, starts to doubt, and he sinks. And when Jesus got arrested, he's following far behind. He stays off to the side because he doesn't want to get too close to him because he had doubts. And then even after he was reinstated by Jesus, we see in Galatians that the apostle Paul had to call him out because of doubt. So if it's good enough for Peter, if it's good enough for John the Baptist, if it's good enough for these other people, it's okay for us to not be perfect and to say, okay, sometimes I, I wonder. But then let it take you to those places where you're... Rejoicing in God's faithfulness, where you're remembering what He has done for you, where you are remembering how good He is, and you're remembering His Word and the things that He's done in your life that you can't even always explain, but you know, you knew in those moments that yes, yes, this is right. It's okay for us to be there. In fact, Chuck Swindoll said it is the right of every believer to go through the halls of doubt on their way to rooms of truth. We don't stay in the hallway, doubt's in the hallway. Truth is in the rooms. We walk through hallways. You don't stay there. But it's okay. We've got to walk through hallways. But we need to end up in those rooms of truth. Because the truth of God is what alleviates the doubt in our hearts. But if we have trouble, if you're doubting, and you're not sure, but you're never getting in the Word of God, and you're never talking about God's faithfulness with anybody in your life, then you're just going to stay in the hallway. But God doesn't want to stay in the hallway once it's in the rooms. Because that's where His faithfulness is very evident in our lives. We are all invited into this inner circle. All of us. No matter where you are, if you're in the outer circle, you might even say, I'm, for, I'm, I'm outside of the outer circle. You're invited into the inner circle with God. It's where he wants us. But it requires that we focus on his plan for our life, his glory, his purpose, his will, his kingdom, and we lay all of ours aside. The only way to come to him is through surrendering to him and giving our lives to him today. Would you stand with me today as I close? We serve a really, really wonderful God, church. Beyond our wildest expectations, we can't even put into words how good He is and what He has done for us. You know, I even think sometimes we get, we get frustrated at how God doesn't do for us what we want Him to do. I think that's the, the normal place for even believers to get to sometimes, even Seasoned, mature, deep believers. But you know, I'm reminded at times like that of, you know, there's so many times that God has been faithful in ways that I can't see. There's so many times he's protected me from things that I can't see. I don't know how many times he's protected me from a car crash where I went the other way instead of going that way and didn't even know why, but if I went that way, something bad would have happened. You never know. God's just, he's faithful in ways we can't even begin to comprehend because his ways are so much higher than ours. But we have to get to that depth of relationship with him to really be able to experience that and express that and trust that in our lives right and so that's where he wants to take all of us so i want to pray for us this this afternoon i just want you to receive this prayer i believe god wants every one of us we can leave today and start that journey of being in his inner circle and again i'm going to say it again because i want to make sure i'm not misunderstood it's not an exclusive club And it's not even a real circle. God doesn't categorize us. He loves all of us. And getting into that inner circle, even though you'll be in the minority if you do it, he's inviting all of us. Just have to have have the eyes of of our heart enlightened to it. So let's pray. Father, we do love you today. We thank you for your word. We know your word is truth. God, we thank you for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we celebrate today, knowing that it's just a few short days later that you were going to die for us. God, we thank you that you did not reject the call, that you did not reject the plan, but you fulfilled it and you walked it out. We thank you today for salvation that comes freely to all of us who will believe and give ourselves to you. Lord, we want to be in the inner circle. I believe everyone in this room wants to be in the inner circle. I believe those listening online want to be in the inner circle. And Lord, we just, we take away, we just, shed away all those things those preconceived ideas that would keep us from really feeling like we could go in there when well, we know lord that, that being close to you is just a matter of us taking that first step it's about surrendering ourselves to you lord we we surrender ourselves to you today we we lay aside our own desires our own wants our own pleasures our own security our own success we lay it aside today lord and we say we just want to know you more we want to give ourselves to you lord we want your kingdom to come in our life We want your will to be done in our life. We want to know you in a level that we never experienced before, God. Would you take us to those deep places in you? That we would not be shallow Christians, that we definitely wouldn't be on the outside, we wouldn't be far from you. Lord, I thank you today for those that are are far from you that we know all they have to do is just know that they need a Savior and confess their sins and you are faithful and just to forgive. I pray you would help everyone to lay down our lives, Lord. We, we constantly need to lay down our lives. Help us to do that for your glory and for our good, God. And we will give you all the praise, all the honor. You're the only one that deserves it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we praise God this afternoon? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.